Well, friends, I invite you to have your Bibles open in front of you and turn with me, please, to Esther chapter 6. Esther chapter 6, uh, verse 14, and Esther chapter 7. That's the passage that we're going to be working our way through this morning. Esther chapter 6, verse 14, into Esther chapter 7. One of my favourite authors is Ian Rankin. I love his DCI Rebus novels. I, I discovered them when I was about 15. I borrowed one from uh, my brother, my older brother, and I've kind of been hooked on them ever since. Every book at the start is great fun to, to sit down and try to work out, well, who done it? Who's the criminal who's responsible? Who's responsible for the murder that's happened? Who's responsible for the theft that's happened? It's great fun to sit and try and look for those little clues, those little hints that the author offers you throughout and work out, well, who's responsible for all this? But yet in every great crime mystery, in every great crime thriller, there's that little bit of plot twist, isn't there? You're reading the book and you think, I've got all this worked out. I know who the, the criminal is. I know who's responsible for all of these things that happen. And just when you think you've got it worked out, just when you think you've got all of your pieces coming together, suddenly your main culprit, your main suspect, dies at the hand of the same murderer and you have to start all over again. Last week we saw the plot starting to twist on Haman. Last week we saw things starting to fall apart for him and last week we saw the tide beginning to turn against him and up until that point he had pretty much everything his own way the king had given him his signet ring giving him authority and power he had been the one who had been promoted to prime minister instead of mordecai he had been the one who was the king's advisor instead of mordecai but then last week in chapter six with robin we saw how things were starting to turn how the plot started to twist how in chapter six it was Mordecai who was honoured rather than Haman. It was Mordecai who got to wear the king's clothes. It was Mordecai who got to ride upon the king's horse. And this week we see the narrative start to reach some conclusions. We see the enemy of God's people being punished. We see Queen Esther finally telling King Ahasuerus what it is that she wants. What it is all of this feasting and banqueting has been in aid of. But there's still one final plot line left to be outworked. Still one final kink that's left in detail. How will the people of God be saved? How will the people of God escape Haman's edict? We want to think about three things and see three things together this morning. Firstly, we want to see a question answered. Finally, Esther tells the king what it is that she wants. Finally, Esther tells him what's going on. Secondly, then, we want to see a queen assaulted, a queen assaulted that as uh, as King Ahasuerus comes back in to the room, he thinks that Haman is assaulting his queen. But then thirdly and finally, we want to think about a king's wrath abated. How is it that the king's anger against Haman is satisfied? How is it that the king's anger against his servant comes to an end? Well, ultimately, it's through Haman's death. A question answered, a queen assaulted, and a king's anger, a king's wrath abated. So firstly then, a question answered, a question answered. And we see that in chapter 6, verse 14, through into chapter 7, verse 6. So last week then we left things on a bit of a cliffhanger, didn't we? 
We left things on a bit of a knife's edge. Mordecai had been honoured by Ahasuerus for saving his life. Haman had realised that perhaps the tide was starting to turn. Haman and his advisors had gathered together and they were wondering, well, what does all this mean? What are we going to do? And we see the, the, the answer of uh, Haman's advisors and his wife in verse 13 of chapter 6. If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but you will surely fall before him. It's at that point, just as they're in the middle of this meeting, just as in the, they're in the middle of their war council, that the king's servants come, verse 14, and take Haman to the feast that Queen Esther had been preparing. We get the sense of the rush nature of this in verse 14. It's uh, in, in the middle of their meeting. You know, there's no time to formulate a plan. There's no time to come up with the next steps to take. There's no time to plan for his next move. No time for his advisors to sit down and work out what's to be done. Rather, he's taken off to the feast in verse 14. He's no idea what to do. We read in chapter 7, verse 2, that on the second day, now this is the second day of feasting. This isn't the second day of this feast. Remember, uh, Esther had thrown a, a feast the day before and had said to the king, look, come back tomorrow and I'll tell you what it is that I want. And once again, we find them drinking wine, verse 2. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast. And the king says to Esther again, look, what is it that you want? I've asked you twice already. I've offered you this opportunity twice already. Now, please tell me what it is that you want. You promised you would tell me yesterday. So please let me know. What's your request? You can have anything you want up to have my kingdom. But this time Esther will answer. This time Esther will make her request known. And notice the very formal language that she uses. The very almost clever language that Esther uses. She answers the king here using some of the phrases that he's asked her. And his question he's put to her and said, uh, look, verse two, what is your wish? What is your request? And Queen Esther answers, verse three, if I find favour in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. She's answering the king very directly here. She says to him, look, you want to know what my request is? What's well, for my people? You want to know what my wish is? What's well, for my life? She uses the same words that the, the king's asked her in his question so that he'll be left in no doubt, so that he can't misunderstand what it is that she's saying. Now, at this point, the king probably doesn't really have any idea what's going on, why Esther's asking for these things. I'm sure he doesn't know who it is who's threatened the life of his queen, how her life has come to be under threat through the edict of Haman. But Esther continues, verse 4. All of this is necessary. This request is necessary because we've been sold to be killed, destroyed and annihilated. Notice again how Esther picks up the words, picks up the, the edict that Haman had sent out. She uses the same words here to emphasize to the king the seriousness of the situation. It isn't just that some of the people are going to be killed. It isn't just that some of the people are in danger. No, Esther says all of the people have been sold to be killed, to be annihilated and to be destroyed. 
If we've been sold merely as slaves, Esther had said, if we've been sold merely into servitude, then I wouldn't have bothered the king with this. I wouldn't have troubled him with it. I wouldn't want the king to suffer any loss. But as it is, I can't say anything. As it is, we haven't just been sold as slaves. As it is, we've been sold to death. I remember a, a few months ago having to take one of our boys to hospital to get some staples in his head. It was nothing major, really. But we were sitting in the, the children's N.E. department in Craig Avenue and everyone who came in said the same thing to the doctors and nurses who were there. Look, sorry to bother you with this, but the idea behind their thinking was that the NHS was under so much pressure. The NHS was under so much strain in dealing with COVID-19. It was such a busy time facing the NHS that they were sorry for bothering them. But the situation their child was facing was serious and they didn't know where else to turn. And that's what Esther says to the king here. Look, I'm sorry for bothering you with this, but there's nowhere else to go. If it wasn't so serious, I would leave it alone. But as it is, we've been sold to be killed. There's no one else who can sort this problem out but you, O king. The king still doesn't really get it, does he? He still doesn't really understand and he says to the to Queen Esther, verse 5, Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he who has dared to do this? Who's done this to you? Who's put your life in danger? And Esther says, Well, actually, it's that guy. Actually, it's Haman, this wicked man who's your advisor. He's the one who's done this. And notice Haman's response, no longer smug and self-confident, but the end of verse 6, Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. It's a great reminder to his friends that one day all of our deeds will be brought out into the open. One day we'll be called to give an account for all of our deeds. You see, Haman plotted and planned he did some of it in secret, of course, but he did some of it out in the open. But one day his deeds were exposed before the king. One day he was called to give an account for the, the, the threat that he placed Queen Esther on. But one day, friends, one day we're going to be called before a higher bar than King Ahasuerus. One day all of our deeds are going to be laid out before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. One day we're going to be called to give an account for the life that we've lived, what we've done with the talents that have been entrusted to us. And when that day comes around, none of us, none of us watching this morning will be able to say to God, well, look, I've lived a perfect life. I've never done anything wrong. All of us will be ashamed on that day. All of us will be ashamed of some of the things that have been brought out into the open. Ashamed of some of our words. Ashamed of some of our thoughts. Ashamed of some of the things that we've done in private when we thought no one else could see. But friends, those of us in Jesus Christ this morning have no need to be ashamed. All of our sin. All of our sin has been borne by him, has been nailed to his cross, has been crucified with him.
and we bear it no more. Think about those wonderful words of it is well with my soul, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. We see then a question answered. The, the Queen Esther finally tells the king what it is that she wants. But secondly then, we see a queen assaulted, a queen assaulted. And we see that in verses 7 through 9. This revelation's come then. It's Haman who's placed the queen's life in danger. It's Haman who's the enemy of the Jews. It's Haman who's this wicked man. And the king ups and leaves in verse 7. He's agitated in his spirit. He doesn't know quite how to, 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 to process what he's heard. He's angry and he doesn't know what it is to do. So he retreats into the palace garden to have a bit of a think, to get some fresh air, to clear his head a little bit. Haman stays behind to beg for his life, verse 7, to beg for his life from Queen Esther. There's a, a symmetry here that can't be missed, isn't there? Haman, this man who's plotted against the Jews. Haman, this man who, because of Mordecai, has planned to have all of the Jews put to death. And here he is begging a Jewish woman for his life. He's harbored this impression that he's in power, that he's in control, that he's in charge of the situation. And yet here he is begging for his life. He is astute though. Haman knows his king. Haman knows what way the wind's blowing. Haman knows how the king is going to treat him. Haman knows that the king intends to do him harm. Perhaps he remembers Vashti. Perhaps he remembers how she was dealt with by the king after she had slighted him. And he sees Esther as his only hope of survival. Esther is the only one who can save him. The king comes back in from the garden. Verse 8. The king has perhaps cooled off a little bit. He's collected his thoughts somewhat. But when he returns, he finds, uh, he finds Haman, as he sees it, attacking Esther. He finds Haman falling on the couch where Esther was sitting. And you can imagine the scene, can't you? You can easily imagine how this happens. Haman begging for his life. Haman desperate to save himself. Forgets all social etiquette. Forgets how he should behave. The social etiquette of the day was that no one but the king should come within seven steps of his queen. And he forgets all of this and he falls on Queen Esther begging for his life to plead with her. But King Ahasuerus sees it very differently. Will Haman assault my queen even in my house, even in my presence? The commentators say that uh, the, the King Ahasuerus here is really accusing Haman of sexually assaulting his queen. Seems like a bit of a, a ridiculous accusation to make to try and uh, stick given the situation that Haman is in. But you can see why the king might misunderstand it if he just sees a snapshot, if he just sees this one picture of Haman falling onto his queen. Haman doesn't get a chance to respond. His face is covered by those standing by. And then Harbona pipes up, one of the king's eunuchs, and, and says, well, look, the gallows that Haman built, the pole that he erected to have Mordecai hanged on, it, it's still there. 
Mordecai, remember, the one who saved the king's life. We see that in verse 9. Moreover, the gallows that Haman prepared for Mordecai, whose words saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits. Hi, a new element's introduced here, the element of treason. I think I'm right in saying it's one of the few uh, crimes that still carries capital punishment today in the United Kingdom. He was planning on killing Mordecai. He was planning on killing this man, O king, who saved your life, whose word saved your life. How do we know he wasn't plotting against you? How do we know, O king, he wasn't planning to kill you? A queen assaulted a question answered, but then thirdly and finally, a king's wrath abated. And we see that in verse 10. So what's to be done with Haman? He's planned to kill the queen. He's planned to kill Mordecai, the one who saved the king's life. And Harbona presents the suggestion and says, look, the gallows is still there. He's planned to kill Mordecai on it. The obvious implication is, well, look, should we hang him on it? And the king says, okay, put him on that. Kill him on the gallows that he intended to kill Mordecai on. And after that, we're told, verse 10, then the wrath of the king abated. After Haman had been killed, after the problem had been dealt with, then the king's wrath, the king's anger abates. Similar to what we see with Queen Vashti, isn't it? After the king has dealt with the problem, after he sent her away, after he's issued this edict that all women should respect their husbands, then his wrath, his anger abates. His anger disappears. But I wonder how Esther chapter 7 makes you feel this morning. There's something in it that's a little bit bias, isn't there? There's something in it that's a little bit vengeful. There's something in it that feels somehow below the people of God, isn't there? Something that makes us feel uncomfortable about the whole thing. Something that niggles away just at the back of our mind. Maybe like some commentators, you're asking the question this morning, well, look, why didn't Esther tell the king what was really happening? Why didn't Esther tell the king, look, Haman isn't assaulting me here. He's begging for my life. Why does it take the death of Haman to satisfy the king's anger? Why isn't he exiled? Why isn't he sent away? Why isn't he just deposed from his position? Why does it take Haman's death to satisfy the king's anger? I want to make two points as we close this morning. Firstly, Haman dies as a result of his sin here. Paul reminds us the wages of sin is death. Haman here sets himself up as an enemy of God's people. And as a result of that, Haman actually sets himself up as an enemy of God. That is sin and sin always leads to death. Sin always leads to rebellion and rejection of God. No doubt here when he ascended to prime minister, he thought, I've got away with this. No doubt here, whenever the king gave him that signet ring and told him to do as he wished, Haman thought he'd got away with it. No doubt when he was enjoying lavish feasts with Queen Esther and King Ahasuerus, no doubt he thought, I've got away with this. He didn't feel the pressure, he didn't feel the conviction of sin, but it caught up with him in the end. Be sure our sin will always find us out. 
be sure this morning that sin always leads to death. Maybe you're listening this morning or watching this morning and you think, well, look, I'm getting away with it. I'm getting away with some sin and the consequences of that sin don't seem to be catching up with me. Friend, to you, I would say this morning, don't abuse the mercy of God. Don't abuse the patience of God. God is patient with us, wanting each of us to reach repentance. One day your sin will find you out, just as humans did here. You can't hide forever. On that day when your sin finds you out, it will be too late. But secondly, I want us to focus here on the response of King Ahasuerus. Because what is it that sates his anger? What is it that, that abates his anger? It's the death of Haman. His anger was satisfied at Haman's death. And in a very poor way, King Ahasuerus reminds us of God and reminds us of the gospel. You see, this morning, God is justly angry with our sin. God is justly angry for those times when we choose to ignore him, when we choose to live our life our own way with no thought for him. Those times when we reject him and run from him. We deserve punishment and death this morning, just as Haman did. Yet that's the great news of the gospel, because another has died instead of us. Another's blood has been shed instead of ours. And through that one man's death, the just and righteous anger of God was satisfied forever. I'm talking, of course, about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. His death this morning means that we can be right with God. His death this morning pays the penalty for sin that we should pay so that we might know God. Friends, we either die in sin as Haman does here. And hear those terrible words, depart from me, for I never knew you. Or we die to sin and live for Jesus Christ and hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. But which is it to be for you this morning? Amen.